Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Contra Mundum. Esther faced it. Paul was persecuted and prosecuted from it. Noah kept building in spite of it. The spirit of the age seeks to wrap its poisonous tentacles around God's people in every generation. In our time, Christians in America watch as the wicked proceed from bad to worse, and the church prays for Christ to return in righteousness and honor. Francis Schaeffer rightly asked, how should we then live? So, a couple of quick questions. First, what do we do? Should we lobby for our rights that traditionally have belonged to us? Should we make every effort to implement a Christian agenda? Should we reform the government? And should we join in a political effort to do so? Good questions. Let's talk about some very practical items. First, let's look at the case of Felix uh, Nagoli. Felix was a master's student studying for his uh, work in the social sciences. He was going to be a social worker. He posted on Facebook a response to the situation where um, the American worker Kim Davis was imprisoned after conscientiously objecting to having to facilitate same-sex weddings. He wrote, same-sex marriage is a sin whether we like it or not. It is God's words and man's sentiments should not change his words. And he said that in response to a question about, hey, does the Bible really say this? He was expelled for making those statements. The school removed him from his master's program and thus effectively his career. There was a court case that followed and the court ruled that the university rightly eliminated him from his curriculum. And the reason why they did that is because he may have caused offense to some individuals. Now remember, this is a university, bastion of free speech. The university and the court agreed that his freedom of speech had been impaired. But the judge said that his posts were undoubtedly intended by him to convey a religious perspective. Nevertheless, the court ruled that he had no religious imperative to comment on a news item about Kim Davis. Interesting. The court ruled that he is not entitled to express his beliefs, but freedom to believe them without expression is no freedom at all. It is the expression of biblical morality that has been singled out for sanction by the university. The ruling has a chilling effect upon Christian students who now understand that unless their statements are politically correct, they will be investigated and perhaps punished. Rulings like this show that society is becoming increasingly intolerant of Christian moral values. And Felix is looking at a change in his career. The university and a court forced a Christian group to allow anyone into leadership. In 100 years of history, the University of California Hastings College of Law, College of Law, had never denied student organizations legal status, but they denied the Christian Legal Society of that recognition. And they did so because the Christian Legal Society would not allow leaders in who were not Christians and who did not abide by a Christian moral standard. No sex outside of marriage. Well, the university and the court decided that that violated the university's uh, the university's stand on uh, sexual orientation provisions in its policy on non-discrimination. So, CLS, the Christian, the Christian Legal Society, became the only group ever denied status. And they sued, arguing that Hastings, the university, had violated their constitutional right. 
But unfortunately, they were denied relief by the courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court, because of the specific nature of the policy of the university alleging that student groups had to accept all students regardless of their status or beliefs. Public universities may therefore override a religious group's right to determine its leadership only if it denies its rights to all student groups. And there are like 60 groups on campus with different specific requirements. That's the University of Hastings. <clears throat> Pro-Life Pregnancy Center. Imagine if you walked into an office and you saw on the, on the right side of the screen a wall with all of these different postings <clears throat> in 14 different languages, 42 font size. Imagine if you were an unwed mother, didn't have a lot of support, and you're looking for support and encouragement. And you looked in the newspaper, and in the back, instead of a little three-line ad that said, pregnant, need help, call this number. Now you have this full-page, you know, this quarter-page ad, which will point you to the fact that we're not a medical facility. And, by the way, here's the telephone number for Planned Parenthood. That was the ruling in California. Uh, they passed the FACT Act, F-A-C-T Act which is forcing pregnancy centers to speak a message that directly contradicts their beliefs and mission. They must post signs saying that the state offers free or low-cost or no-cost abortions and must direct people to a Planned Parenthood center. It's a little chilling, isn't it? Pro-life pregnancy centers that want to advertise their services must direct people to another location. Abortion groups in California are the ones behind this law and forcing the pregnancy centers to adhere to their standard. Well, how about children's Christian art? Have you ever heard of cases like this where a child either wanted to write something or make a picture? Well, this child in the second grade drew a picture of Jesus on the cross with X's for eyes. His teacher questioned him about that, and he said, well, Jesus died on the cross. Well, immediately, the child needed to go under, undergo psychiatric examination, had to leave school, and the parents had to pay for two days of psychiatric examinations, which, by the way, the student passed. Groups in the country have regularly been suppressed from expressing their beliefs like this, even second graders. Kids cannot bring Christ Christmas cards with a specifically Christian message. So this is the environment that we find ourselves in. Now, John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute, which is a self-described conservative legal organization, said that the argument that this child who drew this picture that this child is violent is absurd. The child was simply depicting and reflecting the fact that they went to a Christmas display the previous weekend, and when the teacher encouraged people to draw a seasonal display, this is what he drew. Second grader. A possible source of violence because he's depicting a historically true event which happens to be Christian. So while the whole family has a good legal case, according to Mr. Rutherford, um, they are simply thinking about taking the child out of school. And this happened, by the way, in March of this year. So this month, this is up in Massachusetts. Some of you are not surprised by that. The students weren't able to do these things, the students in Washington State who wanted to sing Ave Maria were told that the performance was canceled because they wanted to sing Ave Maria. So, let me ask you this. You've heard other stories, right? Like this? You've heard other situations where 
there is an organization or an organized effort to suppress the Christian message, the Christian gospel. With that in mind, and with your understanding, what would you say are some of the biggest problems facing people of belief in the country today? What would you point out as an example of suppression or oppression, of bigotry and of prejudice, specifically against people of faith? When we took God out of school, that's one example. Well, I mean, that's the reason we're having all of these issues. Is, I mean, that's the so-called separation okay. of church and state and the total misunderstanding of what that means and what that meant to the framers. Yep. What else? That, that, of course, has lots of ramifications. What other problems hit people of faith today? You've read the newspapers. You've seen the stories. Small businesses like the bakeries, the <clears throat> photographers. Yep, small businesses. Small business owners forced to violate their conscience. Because they're not politically correct. Yes. Okay, repeat, Blake, repeat the last part, please. Church leaders speaking uh, on a Sunday morning and teaching biblical truth to the world, hearing it maybe online or something, and calling it hate speech. Yeah. Because you're speaking out against homosexuality or whatever the issue is. Does anybody remember that there was a group here in Evansville that wanted to press this matter? Ernie, when did that happen? Like two years ago? Three years ago? Yeah. And there was a group in Evansville who really wanted to force this upon the churches. So it's not something that's just out in Massachusetts or California. The spirit of the age is here as well. Yes? Tolerance in a pluralistic society no longer means you're going to have a different opinion, I'm going to respect you and treat you well. Now it means I must accept you and I must affirm your belief, your practice. This is a dangerous thing. This is the thought police. Yep, very good point. And for those who didn't hear what Darren was saying, one of the problems that we face as conservative, Bible-believing people is that there is a cacophony of noise out there concerning what righteousness is, what justice is. And some of these voices come from those who don't adhere to what the Scriptures say within the religious community. So you have a religious confusion and, and not only confusion, but a refusal or a denial of biblical truth. And that just causes, you know, so many different problems. <clears throat>
Yes, and there's, there are several reasons for that. We're going to be getting into them. Rick, good point. Um, now, having said all that, we will say that by God's grace, the Christian memory in this country is strong. We have lots of freedoms. And while we've done things, like at Faith Bible Church, we have an emergency response team to respond to both natural disasters and man-caused incidents. You know, we're being prudent in that. We're being prudent concerning the use of our facilities so that we've added information in our Constitution specifically talking about how this building can be used. Now, we're thankful for the freedoms that we have. God is sovereign. He is in control. So, as we talk about these matters, we have to ask, you know, what is contramundum? What is against the world? Against the world, all right? And specifically, this handsome fellow here, with his prominent and significant beard, you know, Athanasius. Who knows about Athanasius? Who can, who's, what scholar in here can tell us a little bit about Athanasius of Alexander? Yes, Rick. <clears throat> he was, he was a, a solid teacher from Alexandria. He started out as a deacon under the bishop of Alexandria. And he was confronting at an early age, about 27, the false teachings of Arius. And Arius, as you'll probably remember, denied what we understand to be the biblical teaching concerning the nature of Jesus Christ. And we have present-day Arians with us who are from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses will reflect the teachings of Arius. Council of Nicaea was formed in the 3rd century, and that the whole purpose was it was an ecumenical council. Now, the word ecumenical then meant worldwide. It didn't have some of the implications that it meant today, although there were hints of it there because the, the Emperor Constantine had drawn this council and said, hey, we need to get together. We have some issues we need to clear up. And one of them is this teaching of Arius. I understand the people in Alexandria have a problem with this. I want everybody to get together and sing Kumbaya in a circle around a fire. And he was really forceful on this. Athanasius was very solidly biblical, and he really was the one who uh, put together an appropriate and biblical creed the Arians, the people who followed Arius, were not happy with it, and there was still a division in the church. Because there was a division in the church, and because Athanasius would not compromise, and there was a significant party that was against him, and even tried to change the wording and change the interpretation of the wording, People said that everyone was against Athanasius. The world was against Athanasius. But the statement became, no, no, no. It's not the world against Athanasius. It's Athanasius against the world. Contra mundum. So there is that element where we say, okay, we need to be faithful to God's word. And as such, you and I will come in conflict with the world and its agenda and its purposes. That's where the term came from. Athanasius Contramundum, against the world. Well, <clears throat> there are some, you know, you have, to, you have to ask the question. Does that mean that all cultural practices, all cultural traditions are evil? We can't participate in them with a clear conscience? What traditions are there in America? Yes, Joel. Yeah. How many, uh, how many of you are wearing wedding rings? Okay. That's a cultural practice. That's not described in the Bible. Although there's a description about a ring in the nose. Uh, pig snout? No, we're not going there, Deb. How many of you use these cups? The red solo cups. 
This is a strictly American thing, using these cups. And it's not just for drinking games. Everybody uses them. Baby showers. That is a uniquely American tradition. Many, many cultures don't have a baby shower until after the baby's born. Out of sensitivity and concern that this child you know, would be fine. You know? Doggy bags, to-go boxes. That's an American thing. You go to a restaurant in France or Italy and you ask for a to-go box, you're going to get some strange looks. Okay? Pardon? <laughs> I, uh, I didn't try. When I... Tailgating parties. Again, <laughs> specifically American, right? So there are many different cultural practices and influences that are okay, that we can absorb, that we can participate in with a clear conscience. But there are some examples where the culture negatively impacted people of faith. Can you think of some? Who would you point to? How about Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5? You, you know the general outline of Genesis, right? The garden, the fall. What's happening around Genesis 6 time? Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that had every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. And who did God raise up at that time? Noah. Remember the boat? Big boat. By the way, we're planning a trip on the 7th of April and we hope that uh, uh, lots of people can join. It looks like the uh, overwhelming vote is for the ark. So be ready to do that. And by the way, pray for uh, Jody and his family's visas. But who is, who is Noah? What was, right, he was, he was the fellow with his family, right, that God chose to keep safe and to orchestrate this incredible journey on the ark. The Bible in Second Peter describes him as what? He was a preacher of righteousness. Now, we don't have a specific example of Noah getting opposition, but can you imagine him being in the middle of this boat building process, preaching, you know, the coming wrath to come and not getting opposition and to not getting laughed at? Yeah, 120 years, I think, that he was in building, right? But... He was in a wicked society. And, you know, God had him at work. Abram. How was Abraham impacted by his society? How was he influenced? Yes. He lied about his wife. Here's a wonderful old Bible engraving. And he's saying to his wife, Shh, shh, don't tell anybody. Here he is in Egypt. Genesis 12, right? When he came to Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, See now, I know that you're a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. So he was willing and okay with the fact that his wife was going to be taken because of his fear of man. Right? And Abram knew better. This was a man that God had given promises to. But he was impacted by his culture and by the fear. What about his nephew, Lot? How was Lot impacted by his culture and also by the corruption in his own heart? His eyes were toward God. How about someone else? I'm sorry? His eyes were on Sodom. Matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. If you read the story of Lot and Sodom, well, he wants this fertile valley. Then all of a sudden, his tent is pitched toward Sodom. Then all of a sudden, he's living in Sodom. And his wife and his daughters are, their hearts are there. You know? And then, when the men come knocking at the door, right, and they're strangers and that, that, that he has taken in, 
and these men from the city want them, what does he do? He offers his daughters. Now, in spite of this, what does 2 Peter 2 tell us? What does God tell us about Lot? How does it describe him? He's a righteous man. So righteous people can be influenced by their culture and their society to the point of sin and compromise. This is serious stuff. Serious stuff. Some of you, well, I'll just be straightforward about it. Um, there's, there's Lot and his salty wife and his two daughters. They're being pulled out of Sodom. I was going to say some of you have people in your family who have gender identity issues. Um, my mom's third husband, Jack, had a son, David. David is now wanting to be referred to as Sonia. And he is going through procedures to alter his physical appearance. And we are expected to call David Sonia. That's never going to happen. Part of my family is Roman Catholic. And they want us to participate in the Mass. That's never going to happen. Some of you, I know at least one person in this room who has someone in their family that's has issues with their own gender identity. And that causes friction. That causes tension. And the tension is not upon that individual, but the tension is upon the Christian to conform to the world and to conform to political correctness. So, I'm going to throw up another picture. I'm going to ask you if you know the biblical example that's referred to by this Dutch painter, Albert van der Schoor. Warren probably knows. Not that one? Okay. What biblical example of influence in society and by society what does she have in her hand? is represented? Well, it looks like she has a book in her hand. It's not the Bible? Could be. I'll give you another clue. Esther. Queen Esther. Okay. An old Dutch uh, Renaissance painting showing the Renaissance influence in the picture and then a modern depiction of Queen Esther. All right. Esther and Mordecai, were they impacted by their culture? Were there issues there? What happened with Esther? Good Jewish girl, right? All of a sudden, she's in captivity and she's a beautiful young woman. What happens to her? She's taken and put into the harem. She spends a night with the king. The king is pleased. Mordecai is giving her advice. Wow. Talking about impact. So, there are lots of biblical examples. Yes, Bo. And, and without her in that position, the whole Jewish people yeah. being against the world, it would be like a first If the Bible stopped the story right there with Esther spending a night with the king, there would not be the celebration of Purim, which we just celebrated. Right? Well, not everybody celebrated that. <laughs> but remember, the celebration, you know, from the... You know, the, the Jews were not destroyed. The evil Haman was, you know, thwarted in his efforts. So, they hiss. When his name was, Mordecai was the uncle. It was Haman, the evil Haman, yes. Spoo. <laughs> All right. Well, here's our content for this class. We're going to be covering Contramundum definition of history today. <clears throat> we're going to be looking at postmodernism, uh, the erosion of authority, we're going to be covering the sexual revolution, radical feminism, science and environmentalism, the law and religious liberties, race relations, economics and the poor, and terrorism and war, and also education and 
impact upon the family. Now, as I say that last one, I want to say this. Um, while there are many people in Faith Bible Church who homeschool, there are also people who uh, have their children in public school, and there are teachers in public school. We are not going to have a position that says all public schooling is evil, and the parents who do that are sacrificing their children to bail. Okay? So I want to say that right up front. When we first came here uh, to Faith Bible Church in Evansville, uh, there were many homeschoolers at Faith Bible Church. And I asked the question, is that a measure of spirituality? And I was told no. We sent our children to public school. And while there are experiences and issues that we wish were not a part of their schooling, uh, we have dear friends who were homeschoolers. And there was never a judgmental issue there. They allowed us the freedom of conscience. So I want to say that up front. All right? And there are many fine public school servants and teachers, some of whom who attend Faith Bible Church. All right? So I just want to make that caveat up front. So here's the question. Why the enmity? Why the opposition? Why the attacks? Why the vitriol? Why is there this clash of worldviews. Why does that exist? I'm looking for an answer. What would you say? A matter of spiritual warfare, good versus evil. Okay, the removal of God and the gospel from our society, good. Others, what would you say? What's the cause for the enmity? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle, and hopefully our weapons are not carnal and earthly. What else? What's the cause for the opposition? What's the cause of the war? Let me ask Ms. Smith, you were saying? People love darkness. Excellent. There was an answer over here. The unrighteous hate righteousness. You know, people would say, hey, I hate Christianity because religion causes wars. People would say, the church sponsors, sponsors sexual repression. They would say, the church harbors pedophiles. You know, uh, the church is full of hypocrites. That's why I hate, and that's why I'm opposed to, that's why I want freedom from religion. Not freedom of religion. I want freedom from religion. People would say the reason why they're opposed to Christians and the gospel in the church is because they were hurt by someone in the church. Well, what does the scripture say? What do the scriptures say? If you go to Romans 8, verse, uh, verses uh, 5 through 8, it's very plain. It's very plain. That, as a matter of fact, let's, uh, let's do a little homework here. I want someone to uh, look up Romans 8, 5 through 8. Need a volunteer? Romans 8, 5 through 8. Raise your hand if you'll read that. And then give us an answer. Tom is going to read that. Thank you, Tom. I need someone to look up 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Who will do that for us? All right. Jimmy, thank you. And the last one, John 15, 18 through 25. Thank you, Bo. All right. Look up those verses. And in a moment, uh, I'm going to ask you to give me a reason for this natural fallen enmity. This is natural fallen enmity. It's natural because it is from the natural man. And it is not moving forward. Gentlemen, I think we're frozen. There we go. All right. Natural fall and enmity. Okay, Romans 8. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. There is enmity. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The natural person does not accept the 
The natural man does not accept the things of God because they are foolishness to him. This is something that started in the garden. The rejection of God's word and God's authority when Satan said, Did God say? And Eve saw that it was good. And she took it and gave it to her husband. John 15. Yeah, just read 18 through 20, if you would, please. Excellent, thank you. The enmity is there because the world hates God. There is enmity. If you are a follower of Christ, this is a fulfillment of Scripture. Every, the examples that we gave where believers were persecuted and prosecuted by the world is a fulfillment of God's Word. Now, there's another reason uh, why, and that is the exclusivistic claim. In a pluralistic society... It's interesting, and India is, an, I think, a very good example of this. Here in India, uh, and at this age, you have you know, polytheism, and you have people worshiping gods of all sorts. You go into a business office, and the elephant god Ganesh is there on the, on the, uh, on the wall because that's the god of business, and it's there so that they can make puja. They can offer sacrifices to the idol, in hopes that the god Ganesh will bless them and increase their business. You go on a street corner and you see the various gods that are out there. Shiva the destroyer, you know, Vishnu, they're, they're there. And there are people who can have these idols in their home and even a statue of the Blessed Virgin and Jesus. But the problem is once you say only Jesus, that's when you run into a problem. And that problem in, in India is the same problem here because you have fallen humanity in India, fallen humanity in the United States. Even the very fact that you say there is one God. One God. Who are you? Isn't that an arrogant statement? Who are you to say there's one God? Deuteronomy chapter 6. What does it say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right? There's one God. This is offensive. Who are you to say? Again, the erosion of authority, the erosion of biblical authority. The fact that there is one nation through whom God has set his affection and his message to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, Israel, God told his only people to go into land occupied by others and eliminate them. Even the new economy, the church, Christ's people are grafted into Israel. We are part of that. You know, how offensive is that to people who are not of that nation? How offensive is that to the people of Islam? You know, again, in a pluralistic society, everything should be good, everything should be acceptable. And the scriptures say, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Deuteronomy 10, yet your father's uh, yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. And Deuteronomy 7 has the same message. Well, there's also offense to having one Savior, Jesus. John 14, 6, what does it say? Jesus said, I am life. No man comes to the Father but by me, right? Isn't that audacious? Isn't that arrogant? Isn't that closed-minded? Only Jesus? And even here, there's a problem with this. One of the people who used to come here is going to a church in the area, and in Sunday school, in their Sunday school class, they have a new book. And that book is open up to universalism. And it's... It's, it's a direction that that particular denomination has been through. You know, it's not anything new. 
the fact that there's more than one gospel. If you look in our hymnals, on page 68, hymnal 68, there's a, there's a hymn called, and by the way, I hope you didn't think we were going to go through the series without my referring to hymns. That would be a complete mistake. Right? <laughs> hymn 68, there's a wideness in God's mercy. Like the wideness of the sea, there's a kindness in God's justice, which is more than liberty. There is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. There is no place where earth's failings have such kindly judgment given. Now, uh, Frederick William Faber, who wrote that hymn, had no intention of it becoming a universalist hymn. But today it is sung that way. That people think that there are people outside of the gospel who will be saved. And you've even heard famous people, famous leaders within the Christian church, Christian church who have made such comments, which is very dangerous and very misleading. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a writer, C.S. Lewis. And you may remember in his one book, um, The Last Battle, a Kellerman soldier comes before Aslan. And, and this soldier um, had followed a false god named Tash, rather than Aslan, who represents Christ, all of his life. And this Kellerman is entered into heaven, and Aslan says to him, well, the faith you gave to Tash was really directed to me. Now, there are many instances where C.S. Lewis talked about the exclusivity of Christ. But this confusion is out there. We have to be careful with the gospel. And in addition to that, there's one book. There's one book. Yes, there's a Bhagavad Gita, there's a Book of Mormon, which is another testimony. There's the uh, so-called um, you know, the, uh, the Jehovah's Witness Bible. What is that called? New International. New, no, not the New International Version. That's... Don't go there, brother. <laughs> Do not go there. New World Translation. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about the New International Version when we get to radical feminism, okay? That's, we'll talk about that then. I'm going to move on. <laughs> there's another reason why. There's another reason why there's this enmity. Number three, the sovereignty of God and sanctification. The sovereignty of God and sanctification. Philippians 1, 27 and 28 talks about how our opponents and the opposition of our opponents is there for their destruction, but it is for our salvation. God designed opposition to cause us to grow in the faith. You know the story of somebody becomes sick with a particular disease. All of a sudden they become an expert on that, right? God has designed, if you get the knock on the door from a Latter-day Saint, or from someone representing the Watchtower Bible and Track, God is putting that person in your life for the purpose of causing you to grow in your most holy faith. If God puts a trial in our direction, He may be causing us to grow in patience, endurance, right? This is part of God's wisdom. First Peter chapter 4, what does it say? Do not be surprised, brethren, by the fire trial as though something unusual were happening. But this is part of God's sovereign plan. And, as had so, someone had said before, light exposes the darkness. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says to the saints, the time, is already passed, the time passed is already sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, drinking parties, and abdominal... Uh, excuse me. Ab, ab, abominable... <laughs> <laughs> idolatries. In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same dissipation and they malign you. What? You don't want to have sex with your girlfriend? What are you, queer? You know. And then you're going to get a reputation. You're not going to come out drinking with us? What? what what's wrong with you? Don't, what, are you? Are you just a big stiff? Yeah. This opposition is going to happen. And you may have experienced some of that in your life. I have. You know, we are called to separation. We are called to be separate. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. And everything that that implies, everything that that represents. And we'll talk more about that. What is our response? So what is our response? How do we respond to this? Say what? Take up the scriptures. Take up and read. Take up the scriptures. And your homework is to look at the lives of Nehemiah, Daniel, and his three buddies, right? and to say, okay, how did these people respond in a culture that was oppressive? Look at these. That's your homework for next week. And I do want to encourage you, look at the Psalms. Psalm 44, Psalm 56, Psalm 57, Psalm 83. And look at how God in his word talks about this. And how he talks about his people being oppressed and his response. Look at that, because it will be a great source of encouragement to you. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 17, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Isaiah 8, 12 says, do not call a conspiracy what these people call a conspiracy. And Isaiah says that because he is trying to remind the people of Israel that God is sovereign over their situation. They're not to lose hope. They're to trust in the living God. So I do want to encourage you to do that. The question is, you know, all, that, all of this and all that we're going through, does this not um, cause us to examine our beliefs and be stronger in our faith? And the answer is yes. It is for our sanctification. All right, two things before we close. We have three minutes, and I'm going to close with hymns. So, hymn number 58, This Is My Father's World, has the wonderful verse that says, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that the what? That though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And I'm going to ask you all to pick up a hymnal, <clears throat> blow the dust off of it, <clears throat> and turn to hymn number 277. 277. The church is one foundation. We're going to stand. We're going to sing this a cappella because our two piano players are ill. <clears throat> Well, I've got the lyrics written here in my uh, notes. I want to make certain that I've got them in the same order as the uh, hymnal, so I'll pick up the hymnal as well. 277, the church is one foundation. The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. And the one hope she presses with every grace endued. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with a vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed. And the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to read two verses that are not 
in our hymnal. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schism rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those who hate her and false sons in her pale, against or foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are sovereign and glorious, that you keep your people even in the trials that you send their way. Oh Lord, we pray that as we think and pray and ponder on how we should respond, Lord, we pray that we would respond as your people, reflecting your kindness and your goodness and your patience with those who would be opposed to you and to your purposes. Thank you for this time. Cause us as we gather together with the rest of your people here that we would, with the church worldwide, worship you in spirit and truth, that Christ would be exalted. And we thank you in his name. Amen.